Dan Perkins Media presents a unique and exciting program. Truth Starts Now, a conversation with Dan Perkins. The left has taken away your rights to freedom of speech. Truth Starts Now is a platform for you to regain your voice. America and Americans will be better off if we can have civil and respectful conversations about the day's important issues. Now, here's your host, Dan Perkins. Welcome to the Cambridge Connection. And I'm Dan Perkins, and joining us today is Gordon Oliver from Cambridge uh, Debt Services. And uh, we're going to talk about two issues that we haven't talked about in a while. Just to give you a point of reference, by the way, good good morning, sir. How are you? Doing great, Dan. Adjusting my camera. How you doing? Okay. <laughs> For your audience may not be aware, the yield on the 30-year Treasury is now back to 1995 levels. The mortgage rate for a 30-year FHA or VA mortgage is about 705. Because of the inflation last week ticked up last quarter of the year, gas prices have moved almost 30% since April. Food prices are not going down. Their feeling is that the Fed may have to continue to raise interest rates which uh, spooked the markets, equity markets, they went down. The yield on the 90-day bill is now about five and a quarter. And it wasn't that long ago when Biden took office, it was almost zero. And so what we haven't talked about, we've been talking about student loans a lot over the last few shows. I thought we would talk about what's happening in interest rates in general on cards. And then let's talk about what's happening on mortgages. Uh, I just saw a report over the weekend where there's an estimate of approximately 6 million housing units shortage in the United States and that some parts of the country are starting to see home prices begin to accelerate again, even with over 7% mortgage rates. So that's a lot to talk about. So you can bite off whatever piece you want to start with. Yeah, uh, as always, thank you very much uh, for having me on the show. Um, again, this is a, a process right now that we're going through as American citizens dealing with an economy that is, unfortunately, I never like to be doom and gloom, and that is not my purpose, and that's not even my direction here. What it is, is the truth can never really come out all in one piece. It just starts to trickle and trickle and trickle because the worst thing that they want to do is have people massively panic, kind of like the boiling water with the frog. You throw it in the boiling water, it hops out. If you do the slow boil, it just slowly eventually dies because the heat's turning up. And that's, I think, what we're experiencing here um, in an economy where you can't mess with the metrics. And you know something, Dan? I always look at if we're going to fix problems like in manufacturing, the the root problem that come that comes down to is that would require people to make less money in order to be competitive with, you know, foreign countries like China that that produce things cheap because they pay cheap labor. And you know, again, there's a lot of criticism on how that whole process works. It looks like we're at that point where at somewhere down the road here with the economy, bad things are going to happen. And if they don't, great, uh, but let's be prepared, right? So starting with the, the current climate and the credit card rates, 
Right now, they're at an all-time high average of roughly 21%, and they could tick even higher if the Federal Reserve raises their rates again, which I don't know. What's your opinion on that in the September 19th meeting? Do you have any any? I have a sense that if the, the, the numbers don't seem to indicate that there's been a significant enough reduction to get the Fed back to its monetary targets, I think they may, they may go at a quarter of a point and their message is going to be that we're going to be diligent in trying to bring inflation under control. So I, I would expect to see a, a rate increase in September. Well, okay. So let's talk about banking, right? <clears throat> we, we said roughly 21% and they could tick even higher if that happens. High rates put a lot of pressure on ordinary consumers. Both the 30 and the 90 day default rates are up very sharply which is not a good sign because for your audience, if you don't know this, when people are getting into the 22, 25, 29% interest rates, also their payment increases. And when they become high risk with the credit card mm -hmm. companies, their payments are also increased in order to cover the risk, right? So when people are paying 3% of their balance and barely any of it's going to, the balance and they're stuck in a budget. And again, I know we've talked about student loans, but remember with September now interest rates are being activated on student loans again. So end payments are going to come due in October. So all of this that we're talking about, I don't know how anyone watching this podcast, just the few things we've discussed right now, can't see the problem is massive. Like I said, the 30 and 90 day default rates are up sharply, um, which is a terrible sign. And it doesn't look like the future is very good either. The two things, the third leg of that stool is bankruptcies. What, what's happening with bankruptcies? So obviously bankruptcies are going to tick up now um, simply because people are getting to that threshold. When we do counseling, the, we're not trying to, to sell anybody into anything. The counseling is about as a consumer, when we do a budget, we see your spending plan, income versus expenses, uh, loan balances, what are the answers? And, and sometimes bankruptcy um, is end up, ends up being the alternative, not like we, re we um, recommend it, but to go seek an attorney because we don't get legal advice <laughs> to talk about that as an option. And why that's happening is people are hitting that tipping point now. Again, you put an average of around $400 back into consumers' budgets to have to pay for student loans, we're already at the tipping point. So this is where we're gonna see some really dark times. And I think I said this last time we talked, but it's worth repeating. This is the first summer that I can remember that we have been extraordinarily busy counseling people. Cause usually the summer is kids are out of school, vacations, distractions, traveling, all of that stuff. And then after Labor Day, usually late September, early October, we get crushed with people reaching out for what they did in the summer. But this is the first time where we've seen the summer busier than ever because every all of these indicators are showing up in people's minds and understanding that they're in trouble financially. So I don't know whether this uh, you're the expert. I'm I'm not. Uh, if we if we we have heard uh, commercials on television and the internet and emails to us. Uh, you know, if your credit score is 
630, you've got a good score and uh, you may be able to reduce your, your interest rate. I'm curious, going back to the interest rate, if, if is, is 620, 630, is there a number that you can help me and my audience with? This number is where you transition to the, the lowest potential rate uh, on your credit card, or this number is where you're going to start to see an acceleration in, in terms of what you're going to have to pay? Well, um, <clears throat> above 700, obviously, is a good credit score. Once you get to 750, um, you're, anything over that is really just, you know, for your pride, right? So for, for banking purposes, 750 is an excellent credit score. We have this mortgage ready program where we counsel people using software that's attached to the Freddie Mac underwriting guidelines. And the difference in a credit score from 620 to 640 or 660 to 680 um, is roughly 65,000 in interest saved over the life of the loan. Uh, the problem, and you said the magic word, which can be slowly but surely contributed to evil, which is advertisements. Advertisements are to get people to call and then they find out the real truth or maybe they don't. The, the car lending business has been classic for this um, with their advertisements and then people get to the lot and the next thing you know, everything's different. Now you're meeting a finance manager that the number you thought was different. I just saw a sign at a used car lot. Uh, anybody gets approved. What that means, Dan, is that means that they're trying to target um, low credit score people to pretty much get them financing with the darkest, most expensive uh, financing that there is. So the true answer to your question on an expert perspective, over 700 really should be the goal. You can get financing, but think about it this way too, on an advertising perspective as a bank, uh, and you know this, it's all risk-based. So even an advertisement like that, where they're saying you can get lower interest rates with lower FICO scores, it's hard to fathom that um, once they do the credit report, then the truth really usually comes out. So, right. so, so if I if I look at six fifty seven six six fifty, just a number off the top of my head. Yep. What would I expect to pay if I had a six fifty score for a credit card? Yeah. And a seven hundred score for a credit card. It's hard to answer that because that's all up to banking uh, underwriting guidelines. There's no map that says if you have a 700 credit score, this is the interest you'll pay. And that's why um, when it comes to banks and even mortgages for that matter, right? When we're talking to people, you don't have to have a report pulled. If you know what your credit score is and there's plenty of applications out there that offer that opportunity to see what your credit score is and you can pull your three credit reports and pay a couple of dollars, I think it's four or five dollars per report to get your actual score. But you can go to a mortgage lender or real estate agent and say, this is my score, this is my debt to income ratio, what kind of rate am I looking at? So that you can shop that with the various banks before they actually pull the report. Okay. Because every time you pull a report that actually reduces your credit score, especially if you do it two or three times in a short period of time, just trying to find out what rate you're gonna get. So. That the way to shop it is to know what your facts are. And instead of applying, they want your business. Ask the questions, get the best information that you can. And you, they're going to ask you not to hold them to it. But at least, you know, if I'm a 720 and I have a low debt to income ratio, 
what's my rate going to be? They they absolutely will be able to tell you that without pulling a credit report. Okay. So we got about a minute before we hit a break. Delinquencies of 60 days and 90 days are accelerating. Is yep. it a big, a big acceleration or typical where we are in the cycle? No, I mean, as far as we're concerned um, in our metrics, right? The default is the problem because they're up sharply. Usually what that means is 30 and 90 days um, for the listeners uh, in the credit card space. This is not the loan space when you're doing a personal loan that's unsecured. But in the credit card space, if you fall um, six months behind, the count typically does what's called charge off, which means the credit card company either sells it off to a collection agency, writes it off as bad debt, or has internal collections. Usually they do that earlier stages. But one of the benefits that we get when people get to that point it, from the creditor is getting them back to a good standing without them having to pay all of those arrearages. That's why the counting is important on these default rates. When we know that, that this is important, it's partnerships and podcasts like this to get the messaging out um, to let consumers know that there's a safe place to get counseled to just narrow down what the options are. And because we know that the rates are sharp at 21% and the 30 and the 90 day rates are increasing sharply, we know consumers need help out there and we need to try to prevent them from falling prey to a lot of the gimmick services that are out there that um, provide false hope and actually make things worse in a lot of cases. We have to take a break, but uh, Gordon, um, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, so grateful again that you allow us to come on this program, Dan. If you're uh, the consumers, go to cambridge-credit.org forward slash bw-podcasts. They can fill out a simple web application, name, email address, telephone number, and a counselor will reach out to them, or they can call 855-435-2066 and get transferred to a credit counselor. The counseling does not cost anything. It's just to see what's going on with the client and see what solutions we can help them figure out um, that would be best for their situation. Super. We'll be right back after these messages. Inflation for most people is causing them to use their credit cards to try and make up for income shortfalls. How big is this problem? In the second quarter of 2022, Americans added $46 billion to their credit card balances. Some of that could be you. The Federal Reserve Consumer Credit Report showed that the rate of interest on credit cards went from 14.56 to 16.65%. Those Americans struggling with credit card debt saw their delinquency rates escalate from 1.66% to 1.81%. The Cambridge Debt Consolidation program may be able to help you reduce the interest rates by two-thirds and cut your time to pay off the debt from 30 years to as little as five years. If you're struggling and you want professional and objective help getting your credit house in order, then call 1-855-435-2066. Or... Welcome back. And we're talking with Gordon Oliver from Cambridge Credit Counseling. And we're talking about uh, mortgages and we're talking about credit card rates and all kinds of stuff. So what's on your agenda you want to talk about in the second half of the show, Gordon? There's a couple of important things, Dan. Um, and I'm one of my business development outreaches is reaching out to financial aid officers at colleges because when I do presentations at colleges, the purpose is to help students that are in undergraduate study start preparing for their future financially 
to know and understand what programs are available to make payments when they come out of college. But more importantly, the graduate study folks and the people maybe down the road a little bit that decide that they want to go back and get educated, a lot of times it's a very heavy lift to, to be in school and fund everything. And a lot of times, a lot of expense, books, et cetera, fall on credit cards. So when we do these presentations, it's to be able to prepare people to know that um, there are options for them to be able to deal with it so they can successfully get through school, get their degree, work on prospering career-wise. Um, so now that interest is back on student loans and payments are going to be due in October, we talk about that with people in school because some of them do have to make payments right away when it comes to parent plus loans. Parents typically can put the loans on forbearance while the students in school, but interest accrues. So that's, again, you and I, we know we meet eye to eye here. The worst case scenario you could do is let that interest accrue while you're in school. So at minimum, advice would be to pay at least the interest so the yeah. balance does not grow while you're getting educated. So when you, where do you do these? Did I understand you say you're talking to graduate students? And undergrad, we do with them in-house, local areas, obviously, if if it's not too far to travel. If a, if a college wants us to come in, as long as they pay some expenses for us to get there, we'll do an in-house uh, presentation for the entire campus. We can also, now that the pandemic has given us the beauty of Zoom, we can certainly, and we do this for a lot of the teachers' unions and, um, you know, uh, like the New York State United Teachers and Massachusetts Teachers, where we do online webinars to talk about how this public service loan forgiveness works, the repayment options. So the the beauty of online gathering has helped us really get uh, education out there, especially when people need it. Um, Gordon, when I was uh, first got into the financial service business um, in the 70s, I worked for Merrill Lynch and um, I was a broker for Merrill Lynch in Columbus, Ohio, and then was promoted to a product area in New York and and um, traveled extensively all over the country and actually overseas uh, talking about investing in products and, and what you should consider. And I used to do local seminars with brokers, um, again, all over the country. And I usually would start off the meeting by <clears throat> introducing myself and then I said, let me ask you a question. What percentage of you, by a show of hands, have undergraduate degrees? And a lot of hands would go up. And I said, how many of you have master's degrees? And less hands would go up. Anybody have a doctorate degree? And some hands went up. Then I would say to them, <clears throat> how many classes did you take in college regardless of your degree, that helped you manage the money that your advanced degrees you hoped was going to present to you. And no hands went up. We don't teach college students <clears throat> how to, I mean, you're helping them try to manage their debt, but nobody else is helping them figure out what to do with their money when they trying to get out of school and get a job. And am I wrong that you have a, a service that helps them figure out budgets? 
Budgeting is the first thing we do um, in counseling. It's the first thing we do when we're educating in, in education modules. And it's funny, um, the word budget typically turns people off, we have found, right? Because for some reason, and I don't know the psychological piece around this, I'd love to know and find out why, but the, the real question is you work hard to bring money in, right? And you should be accounting for and planning for how much of that's going to go out. This is where a, a perfect example, I meant to tell you this in the past segment, so I'm going to bring it up now. The new phrase I've heard from mortgage uh, brokers and real estate agents, because they're now struggling in sales, is you're renting your interest rate for now. You can always refinance later when the interest rates get better. And while that's true, the bigger problem with a 7% interest rate and housing values that are way overvalued once again is the payment that you have to make still has to be what fits in your budget at 25 maximum 30% of your income, right? So when we talk about budgeting and planning, the problem that people are doing now, not the cash buyers, because the cash buyers obviously are doing it for investment purposes, but the people mm -hmm. that are got that attitude, like I'm tired of paying somebody else for their property. I want to own my own. While that's ambitious and somewhat true, the math still needs to be the math. You should only be paying 30% of your income maximum for a housing payment to cover your housing. And unfortunately we're getting people, you want to know why they're going the credit card debt is increasing. You want to know why the 30 and 90 day defaults are rising because people are now trapped in these homes with these high payments that probably exceed 30% of their income and then everything else suffers. So the budgeting skill, and it's funny, uh, we have a board member on our organization that is the president of Western Massachusetts Junior Achievement. And we volunteer our time to help K through 12 kids through various programs and, and fun events like a credit for life where we get together with other vendors and kids get a budget and they've got to learn how to spend it. And we coach them throughout the day. But you brought up an amazing point. I find that while that education will start to create some kind of know-how, we're talking about habits and we're talking about tangibility. So when you're in college, the kids are starting to work while they're in school. They have to um, live while they're in school. Families don't necessarily have that kind of money. So they're starting to learn real quick. I bring this much money in. What am I going to do with it? So the timing on budgeting when a high schooler goes to college is a perfect time because they've been probably working a job their senior year, maybe even their junior year. Um, trying to save some money, build up some money for that when they're in school, have a car, have to pay for gas. Um, so it is a perfect time when people realize that they're borrowing money, but they really don't understand it yet to get a spending plan. That's what we call it to try to ease that, that terminology a little bit. It's a spending plan. You work hard to make the money. What are you spending it on and what's the plan? How do you monitor it? How do you gauge it? How do you say my spending plan on groceries is 400 and then for the past two years, the increase in grocery costs now make that 400, 550. Is that in the plan? And how do you manage that? How do you change things if it's not working? That's what the budgeting discussion is about. And 
when we counsel people, it's only a starting point if they don't have one. After that, it still has to be worked. It still has to be managed. It still has to have data that says how much did you actually spend in categories like entertainment, gasoline, groceries, all the things that are not fixed expenses. So your point in that, that time frame is a perfect time to really get people motivated to implement this skill. So we're we're looking at the possibility of either we're in a recession today or we'll be in a recession in the next three to six months. Um, the magnitude of the recession is unknown at the moment, nor the duration. We do know that on a historical basis, that recessions have been getting shorter and shorter, and with a couple of exceptions, not nearly as deep as typical recessions get into it. So as we look at the, the possible changes economically and the political issues that are coming next year, what, uh, what are some of the things that people who may have a job, they have a good income, they're current on their bills, they got some money set aside in their retirement account. So they're, they're, they're not fat and happy, but they're, they're not living paycheck to paycheck. Um, what are some of the things that they need to begin to think about? Everybody at this point, if you asked me, needs to curtail spending. They need to curtail spending and build up a crisis uh, account for if things don't go the right way, if the economy starts to continue to continues to go in the direction it's going. If this is a normal advice that we would give, but the secondary piece of that, not, forget just a budget, but you also need to have, you know, when when you have um, as an example, there's options out there to buy food supply in case we have a weather event. You've been through this yourself. Mm -hmm. um, that's an emergency situation that you plan for. A crisis budget is the same kind of thing that if you feel, and I hope everyone does just look at headlines every day, that things are not great right now and you feel that things have cost more, number one, it is curtailing spending and going back into the budget and seeing where you can cut things and try to do some more things that are entertaining that don't cost so much. Look at restaurants right now. They're incredibly expensive to go out to eat um, at restaurants. The crisis budget is different, though. The crisis budget is if, in fact, you had a loss of income. Let's say that you haven't planned and you're getting a lot of overtime, and all of a sudden that gets cut, and you were depending on that money. What then, back in the budget, has to get cut first. What are the essentials? You've got to have that emergency plan in case things go not as expected. Medical issues are the, the, the easiest one to point to because a lot of those are not planned for an auto accident that disables people for a little while. A health issue that makes people have to be getting treatments and work less. Um, those are the things that really cripple people and it's not doom and gloom. It's just plan the best you can. And if you don't have a plan, it is never too late to start to put one in place. We've got a little over a minute left. I want to follow up what you were saying there. I read a report recently about 60% of the people in this country live 
paycheck to paycheck yes, and cannot, cannot handle an emergency expense over $400. Yes, sir. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't understand that. It, it, I don't understand what what made it happen that people were um, put in a position to literally live paycheck to paycheck. And I understand a lot of times things are not uh, their fault. Uh, you said they could, they could have an illness, uh, the economy could go south, they could get laid off. There's lots of things that are that you can't budget for, that you can't deal with because you don't know if they're going to happen. And when they happen, they happen relatively quickly. Yep. But, but th that comes back to um, what I advise people. And I was talking to a client over the weekend. Uh, we were looking at her resources and what she had in, in her investment account. And she had enough money in her investment account to more than cover all of her operating expenses, rent, utilities, food, car insurance, everything for a year. She had it in the created cash. She ran into a problem because her daughter has had financial difficulties and is being evicted. And the mother wants to try and help. So she's going to take $15,000 out of her retirement account to. This is a difficult conversation um, because how do you expect that she wouldn't want to do that? It's just like co-signing, right? We, when people go to co-signing, we definitely don't recommend it ever because we've seen it do nothing but destroy people and relationships. Um, this is another tough situation where at the root cause, Dan, and again, I know we're out of time. Next time you have me on, I'd love to go over the percentages of what you should be spending in the categories. Okay. Because you've got to start there, right? If you don't start there, and that's at least the benchmark goal point, um, that's how things like this happen. Because people don't save for a rainy day. And when everything costs more, that's why it's happening. And you come from a conservative um, background and approach, as do I. Um, but you know, that's not a political thing when it comes to finances. It is probably the way people should be. The problem is, is we constantly have things in our face through advertisements. You know, there's people out there that are in Audis and cars they shouldn't be in, but they right. are because they want that luxury of that's, you know, who, who they're riding around in. So I would love to talk about this planning in, a, in the next time you have me on, because this is only going to get worse in my opinion, and we can't talk enough about it. Okay. So we've been spending the uh, last few minutes with uh, Gordon Oliver from Cambridge Connection. And how do people get in touch with you? Call a phone number? Yes, 855-435-2066. You call, get transferred to a counselor and speak to someone right away. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. And we'd like to hear your comments or questions. So go to bwradionetwork.com. That's bwradionetwork.com and give us your questions or comments. And thanks for joining us today.